electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Ford. Today is the 100th day of trading of the year and officially the worst start to a year for the Nasdaq ever. That said, today's rebound takes the index back into positive territory for the week. Got back to 39.79 on the S&P. But given Snap and the market's plunge yesterday, just how serious is this demand slowdown? Interestingly, check out Intuit. Uh, heading higher after strong results and a good outlook. We'll talk to the CEO about that later on. But the big test will be two stocks, Snowflake and NVIDIA, which report after the bell, two names that represent so much of the growth enthusiasm of the last two years, John. Uh, We're going to find out a lot more about NVIDIA, all the different silos of semis, inventories and, and the like. I think those two are so important because, Carl, as you mentioned, NVIDIA, it's been around for a long time, but it's one of those established stocks that's just been such a grower over the last few years uh, as they've pushed into not only data center, but sort of metaverse and, and all of that stuff. It's down a lot. So how will investors react to its earnings? Then you got Snowflake, biggest software IPO ever, down way down off of its highs. It has been nearly doubling year over year. So how does it report? But I got to mention Intuit because it wasn't too many years ago that people thought of this company as just about tax, right? It's like you had ignored Mm -hmm. three out of the four quarters of the year and just pay attention to actually this one to see how TurboTax did as a sign of how much this company is changing. Tax actually underperformed this quarter and look at the stock because of Credit Karma, because of QuickBooks D and other stuff that they're Mm -hmm. working on. So perhaps a signal into transformation that's happening in small business and even individuals. The the health of SMBs certainly going to be important heading into a slowdown. Um, Key question, though, for the ones that report tonight, what are they going to tell us about the state of enterprise spending? I know that Sarah just tried to talk to Mark Benioff about that. He didn't have a lot of predictions as to how severe the slowdown might be. He talked about a lot of things, but something I thought was interesting in particular, says he mentors a lot of CEOs, and he tells them, that they must in this moment switch to those longer term contracts, turn monthly contracts into annual or multi-annual ones. That'll be interesting when we hear from Snowflake tonight because they do have this, um, maybe call it unusual consumption-based revenue model where their customers only pay for the amount that they use. Is that going to help demand? Is that going to help them maybe get more of those long-term contracts, Carl? Because at this moment, every company, Benioff included, Salesforce included, is facing so much uncertainty and trying to figure out where they can push and pull, what levers they can pull at this moment. Yeah, a lot of uh, VC founders offering advice uh, to their to their uh, fellow founders, and we're going to talk more about what the playbook looks like for startups especially. But let's dive deeper into markets. Our next guest is not yet calling the bottom, but says he'd be surprised if the Nasdaq fell more than 10% lower from here. Bullish on NVIDIA going into the print tonight. Joining us this morning, Destination Wealth Management CEO Michael Yoshikami. Michael, I'm curious... Uh, We know there's been a lot of damage done and positioning is weak, but what gives you the sense that we deserve stability around here? Uh, Well, I think, I guess another 10% down isn't necessarily stability, but I think that 
valuations are getting more reasonable. And I think what you're really starting to see is really a, a mental shift from investors where we're getting out of just this tech kind of focus and more tech that are positioned correctly with strong earnings uh, and more speculative tech. Maybe that's what happened to Snap in terms of being assigned in that other category. So I think that um, some, some tech is getting to a point where I think the valuations are compelling enough where there should be some stability. And I don't think another 10% down is, is certainly out of the question, but um, I think we're getting to a point where tech with earnings rather than speculative, speculative tech, kind of the soft bank sort of uh, private equity sort of tech, I think is really starting to separate itself out. Huh. How do you characterize earnings risk at this moment and to what degree does apparent stability for the moment in yields uh, lend some support in your view? Well, I think, first of all, um, I think we should really already start resetting expectations on earnings. If you just look at what's happening with the economy, with higher interest rates, with slowdowns, with potential recessions looming on a global basis, um, I think we should all really just take a moment and recognize that it's going to be a shock if anybody comes back with really strong earnings. Uh, and so I think you need to build that into your purchase decision. You know, it's one of these things, Carl, that when you invest in an, an asset, you say, gee, I'd like to buy it at the bottom. Um, you really, I mean, if I was so smart that I knew when exactly the bottom was, we probably wouldn't be talking today, right? So we're looking at buying more towards the bottom than the top. That really is what the key is. Now, yields are going to continue to rise, uh, but have already come back from a three-year, 10-year treasury. We're down a little bit. And, and I think that's a positive sign. Um, inflation is starting to perhaps start to slow just a little bit. Use car prices, house, housing sales. Um, so I think it all really is starting to create some stability as we move into the second half of, of the year uh, that we hadn't had before, where there was just rampant speculation of what might happen in the first three months of this year. Michael, tell me more about why you think the Nasdaq's not going to fall more than 10 percent from here, because I, I look at the chart and I see even at 10 percent down, we're still not back down to the pre-pandemic peak. But a lot of the favorite stocks on the Nasdaq over the past couple of years are already down well below their uh, pre-pandemic yeah. peaks. So is it that you feel that those stocks aren't going to fall much more or that uh, other stocks that haven't come down that far for some reason won't, even in the face of a slowing economy and rising interest rates? Yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, I, I should probably not be as careless as saying the Nasdaq. What I'm really actually saying is if you separate out say, the, the Apples and the Googles and the Microsofts of the world, and you separate that out from the other names, uh, as you mentioned, that maybe have, some have fallen 40, 50, 60, 70 percent. Um, I'm really talking more so about the more established sort of names in terms of 10 percent downside. And I'm not making some prediction on QQQ because it's filled with all sorts of crazy stuff in there, right? So again, uh, to be more clear, I guess what I would say is the the, um, the the Nasdaq stocks, the large cap uh, or even mid cap stocks that have good quality earnings that have fallen, uh, whether it's an Apple that's down, whatever it's down 20 percent. I don't know the exact number right now. Um, I, I think you're going to get to a point where you're going to see this division. So let's not say the Nasdaq. Let's instead say the uh, uh, earnings lading uh Quality Nasdaq stocks, I think, won't fall more than 10%. You got other names in the market that could fall another 30, 40, 50% where they're at after having already fallen 30, 40, 
Okay, so Michael, give us the case for that then. Why do you not think that the mega caps are going to or could fall more than 10% from here? What's giving you that optimism, especially when what we saw from an alphabet yesterday just really got clobbered amid some of those signals and ad spending? Yeah, well, you know, um, so make the case it's not going to fall more than 10%. Uh, because I think valuations are, are pretty compelling at this point. I think you're already starting to bake in pretty negative expectations. I think the market is still thinking that 10-year Treasury is going to go to 3.5%. And I don't think it's going to go to 3.5% because I think inflation is going to start to cool just a little bit. So I think they've already fallen to a point, um, whether or not you wherever you look at it in the chart in terms of pandemic, pre-pandemic, I think the market has already adjusted these names down on the expectation that things are not going to go well. And I just think if you look out past this next earnings uh, call or two earnings calls from now, I, I mentioned in, in notes. Um, uh, so let's say let's say that Amazon has some challenges um, for one quarter or two quarters. Does that mean you're not ordering Amazon? Does that mean the packages aren't going to be on your doorstep every day for the next five years? I think they're going to be. And on top of that, you have a company like Amazon that has more cloud-based services that's really moving into an area where you could actually make the case of cloud-based services for Amazon are, are almost as much as Amazon itself. So I, I just I just think the valuations are more reasonable. And I think investors, when they split from speculation to what I would call more quality names, I think that's going to provide support for these names. That's a really good summation of uh, sort of the psychology we're all in, embroiled in right now. Michael, appreciate that very much. Uh, thanks for starting all us right, off thanks. this hour. Look forward to talking again soon. Coming soon, Meta and Twitter's shareholder meetings later today. And given Meta's stark underperformance this year and Twitter's, well, perhaps deal with Elon Musk, that's been in flux, Julia Borston breaking down what to expect. Julia, um, Meta... Sure to be interesting, but I guess Zuckerberg has all the votes and Twitter, I mean, it's, it's all over but the fighting, right? Well, there, there are so many different factors at play here, John, and we just have to point out that Meta shares are down 45% in the past year and Twitter shares are off 36% in the past year. So when the companies meet virtually with their shareholders today, we'll be listening very carefully for commentary on the ad contraction that Snap flagged earlier in this week. Now, for Twitter, the shareholder vote on Elon Musk's takeover offer, that's going to happen at a separate meeting. But shareholder advisory firm Glass Lewis is advocating for a number of different things, including the rejection of executive compensation. They're also advocating in favor of shareholder proposals for disclosures about concealment clauses on mandatory arbitration and non-disclosure on sexual harassment and the like. They're also advocating for increased disclosure about political spending and for adding civil rights expertise to the board. For Meta, as you mentioned, John CEO Mark Zuckerberg controls votes, so nothing can pass unless he votes for it. But we'll see if proposals demanding reports on human rights, on online child exploitation, and a report on the effects of building the metaverse and its potential dystopian downsides get any traction among shareholders and then could put pressure on the company. Now, a New York state pension fund that invested in both Meta and Twitter is advocating for a shakeup of both companies' boards, calling out the companies for failing to protect, failing to prevent the sharing of video and images of the mass shootings in Buffalo earlier this month with devastating consequences. The state controller tweeting out that investors must hold the companies 
accountable. So we'll be watching those meetings and they start at 1 p.m. Eastern. Deirdre? Julia, thanks for that uh, preview. I know Amazon as well is going to be happening today. I'll be watching that one. Let's turn now, though, to our Sarah Eisen. She's live at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, with another great interview. This time, Sarah, well-known tech investor, Jim Breyer. Thank you very much, Deirdre, and it's good to see you guys. And welcome back to Jim Breyer here to the CNBC set on Dav- in Davos. It's good to see you. Sarah, great to be back. So, so you have investments everywhere in technology, private market, public market. I wanted to start with the public market, given all the volatility we've seen and the sharp sell-off in the NASDAQ. Are you, are you buying on, on some of these lower valuations? I am buying a little bit. And again, uh, if we take a company like Microsoft on weakness, I will continue to buy, I will continue to add, and hold for years. Satya is amazing. I spent time with him yesterday here in Davos. Uh, What we really need is conscious leadership, leadership that understands left brain, right brain, and this new set of challenges coming out of COVID. Satya is not only a brilliant technical strategist, but a great leader, as is your previous guest, Mark Benioff, where we have 10 co-investments together in private companies. Ah. Are you seeing the private company valuations catch up with some of the, the volatility and the carnage that we've seen in the public markets, or is it lagging? It's lagging significantly. And you expect that? I, I always expect six months of lag. So having lived to, through too many of these downturns, 2001, 2008, 9. Asian bubbles, uh, what happens in the public markets typically takes six to nine months for late stage private valuations to adjust. Startup valuations are still highly attractive. It's the late rounds where I think there will be carnage in, call it late stage biotech and tech growth. Hmm. You, you, okay, so you said you're buying a little bit, you're buying Microsoft. What, what are you selling? in this environment? Because some, some of these unprofitable tech stocks, markets in no mood for. Uh, for better or worse, I don't own too many of them. Uh, but the stocks I really like, uh, I bought recently Blackstone, where I'm You're a board, board member. <laughs> yes. I have bought Microsoft. I have bought Apple and will continue to buy Alphabet as well. Those are the public tech stocks that I believe not only have an attractive current model, but they are leaders in AI and quantum. And as you know, Sarah, uh, and you're very CNBC, excited about those. Things. I am very excited. And so as I think about five to 10 years out, where would I advise the great students, postdocs, professors to be looking? It would be in the areas of artificial intelligence and the emergence now of quantum technologies. You are also a believer in the metaverse and Web3. Yes, I am. We know from a dinner that, that you attended in, at CNBC. So what about Meta? That's a company that you used to be on, a board, on the board of. <laughs> yes. You didn't mention it in your list of favorite stocks. Well, I think Meta's going through a, a change that is quite significant. Never, ever bet against Mark Zuckerberg. Never, ever bet against Elon Musk, in my humble opinion. And with the metaverse, uh, Facebook's going to do well. But Microsoft already is doing well. And what I really like about the metaverse and Web 3.0, Web 3.0 is as different from Web 2.0 as Web 2.0 was from 1.0. So think about the Web 2.0 leaders like Stripe. There will be a Stripe in the Web 3.0 
in and around crypto, decentralized development. And when I see where the great talent is going in Silicon Valley and elsewhere, uh, the great 30-year-olds are going to crypto and Web 3.0. But, it, but it, you think it can withstand? I mean, there, there, a lot of the air has come out of crypto. A lot of it has come out of this Web, Web 3 and metaverse. In an era of rising interest rates where the liquidity situation is totally different and a potential recession, th these themes seem way far off in the future and highly speculative. Well, for the public valuations, for sure. The interest rate environment, I, as you know, don't try to predict interest rate spikes and drops. A uh, number of people at Davos are much better at that. My goodness, though, Web 3.0 is where Mark Benioff described Salesforce in 2001. Uh, it's a completely different mindset around development. And so I'm not necessarily saying go long Bitcoin or Ethereum or Solana. I am saying look at the development platforms in and around the blockchain and that's where the most innovative applications are being developed and where the best in the world are going. Which companies? What are, what are the top two or three companies doing that? I'm a shareholder in Coinbase, which has been hit hard. I invested in 2013. It's, it's down like more than 70% from the highs. Yes, it is. Circle, which is private, the U.S. dollar coin. And Binance, which is the largest exchange in the world. And in and around these platforms, I see tremendous opportunity around development. But I'm not necessarily a big believer in buying the coins. Got it. Well, that, and that has been painful, at least lately. Finally, you said never bet against Elon Musk. So I'm curious. I know you have a, a very good relationship there and have been a longtime investor. What do you think of his bid to buy Twitter? Uh, one, Elon is a genius, as Mark Benioff said. One of the best entrepreneurs of all time. He's paying too much for Twitter. I think the fair market value of Twitter, in my humble opinion, is $25 to $30. That's a long way out from $54.20. Yes, it is. But I wonder if he can actually renegotiate that deal. I don't is know that what the you, answer. Is that what you think is happening here? <laughs> I actually <laughs> don't know. But what I would say about Elon and his team, people focus on Elon. He has an extraordinary team around him. The Gigafactory in Austin, Texas, Robots making robots is unlike anything I've ever seen. And so I'm very long Elon Musk. Jim Breyer. Wow, that, a lot of love for Elon Musk here. Absolutely. <laughs> Great to be back. Thank you very much for sharing some of your insights with us. That is the, the noted billionaire tech investor, Jim Breyer. I'll send it back to you guys. John. Sarah, thank you. Uh, great insights there. Meanwhile, in, uh, Intuit shares heading higher by about oh, almost 8%. The CEO, Sasan Ghadarzi, is next. Big hour still to come. Tech Check's just getting started. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. 
Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Time for a gut check. Baird is bracing for a mild recession, lowering estimates across their internet coverage, saying they see it weighing on consumer spending and dragging revenues lower, hitting e-commerce, digital advertising, and gaming especially hard. Names like Airbnb, Amazon, eBay, Pinterest, PayPal, Shopify, and Twitter all getting their targets cut as well, though all those names are up on the session. And, John, the Nasdaq making out for some of yesterday's heavy losses, up about 1%. Indeed, and here's a name that's helping that cause. Let's look at Intuit, the financial software provider, uh, up significantly today after an earnings beat, issuing strong guidance for the next quarter. You can see it there, up better than 7.5%. Of course, it is down a bit with the rest of the market, though, uh, outperforming. It's down about 40%. Uh, year to date. Joining us now, Intuit CEO, Sasan Gadarzi. Uh, Sasan, uh, good morning. I-, I was just talking about how in the past, uh, Intuit seemed to live and die by the tax quarter, but not so much this time. So I want to ask you about tax first and how that went, but also give me um, y- your take on this $141 million settlement that uh, into it has paid out, admitted no wrongdoing, but the issue was steering people away from truly free tax services. What has Intuit changed or what are you changing coming out of that across the company? What, what if anything, did you learn from that? Well, good morning, John. Thank you so much uh, for having me. You know, I'll start with the, the first part of your, your question. Uh, taxes, both uh, consumer tax and our pro-tax businesses, now about you know 30% of the company. So we're you know truly a platform company uh, that's very very uh, diversified, uh, and we're very pleased uh, with our performance and, and progress uh, this tax season. And in fact, we hit a, a significant milestone with our TurboTax uh, Live platform, which is in essence where we have experts to help you do your taxes or do it uh, for you, where we. Uh, reached a billion-dollar mark, growing at 30%. So we're very excited and privileged to have the honor to serve um, our customers. Uh, specifically, your your question around uh, the settlement. Uh, one, as we've uh, said in the past, you know we are huge proponents of free. You know, over the last um, eight years, uh, we have served about 100 million customers that have paid nothing to get their taxes uh, done. In fact, uh, those figures are the largest of the entire you know industry combined. Uh, and we felt that uh, some of the uh, complaints about um, our free practices had no merit. Uh, but with that said, we felt like this was important to just uh, put behind us. And some of the, by the way, practices uh, we had evolved in the last year just to continue uh, to be far more uh, clear uh, and transparent with customers in terms of their eligibility for free uh, and when they're not eligible for it. So I would say those are the, the headlines. Okay. Now, I do want to talk about small business because it's such an important engine for the U.S. economy overall, and that performed quite strongly for you uh, and is a big part of why you issued this strong guidance. In what ways are you seeing this inflationary environment, uh, higher costs reflected in small business performance? Why isn't it slowing you down here, and what gives you the confidence to issue the guidance you did, given all of that? Sure, John. You know, first I'll start with the small business, and then I'll talk about our uh, performance. Uh, you know, in terms of the small business, everything that uh, you all talk about, you know, throughout the day, you know, is very real. First of all, 
Uh, consumer spending is still strong. So consumers are, are, are spending with our small businesses for the services that they provide. At the same time, small businesses are having to deal with, you know, food prices going up, fuel prices going up, uh, wage, pri- wage shortages and, and wages uh, prices going up. And so those are very real things that they have to deal with. At the same time, the reason for our strong performance last quarter uh, and our guidance going forward is, you know, there is a, an accelerated flight to digitization to manage your cash flow. You know, one of the top reasons why small businesses survive and thrive or go out of business is, one, getting customers, two, it's their cash flow. And, uh, and on our platform, you know, it truly our platform now is a growth and money center platform where you can do a far better job managing your cash flow, get access to cash. And in fact, what I shared on earnings yesterday is this last quarter, uh, our QuickBooks Capital, which is our loan product, tripled uh, year over year. And our um, payments charge volume continued to grow north of 30%. And those are just indications that small businesses are relying on our platform uh, to be able to manage their cash flow, even in uh, unique times. So we're, we're proud of and privileged to be able mm-hmm. to serve our small businesses. Hi, Susanna. It's Deirdre. You talked about that settlement with state AGs over advertising practices. You said that that was now behind you. However, there is a separate FTC lawsuit that does remain open, calling that supposedly free software a bait and switch. What are you doing specifically to win back trust? I mean, even this morning, I searched TurboTax on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Twitter, and it's full of memes and videos from customers that feel burned by the software. And these are millennials and Gen Z where, you know, presumably your future growth is supposed to come from. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll start. I appreciate the question. I'll start with the facts. You know, we have well over 55 million customers that use TurboTax. We have one of the highest net promoters uh, across the industry, and that that is uh, what we just ended the season with very strong growth, very strong uh, net promoter, very strong uh, word of mouth. So uh, we do have an incredible amount of trust. And in fact, I would tell you that uh, when this complaint was out, I got emails directly from customers letting me know that, hey, I want you to know I used your free product and it was very clear that it was free. It was very clear when I needed to upgrade. And so I think fact speaks for themselves. At the same time, we take these things very seriously because for us, Uh, trust and reputation matters uh, a lot. And so we will Mm -hmm. continue to work very hard to ensure that Mm -hmm. uh, we can always be more transparent across our entire uh, platform. And, uh, And that's the way we're thinking about it. And it informs the actions that we take. Right. So, Suzanne, I know that you get emails from people who like the software, but as a potential consumer, what I'm seeing still is a lot of that backlash. So, again, I just ask you, are you doing anything specific? Do you feel like you don't need to do anything more to win back trust? We absolutely do, and I'll give you very specific examples of things that we have done, you know, within uh, the product. You know, for instance, uh, in the product, we are now much more clear in the checkout experience, the value that the customers are getting, uh, and what they have to pay for it, if they have to pay for it, versus if it's free. And we're also very clear to let them know, hey, if you're not actually satisfied with the value that you're getting, uh, let us know, and we'll make an adjustment real time to help them understand what they can do to get their taxes done for what they believe the value are. So one is within the product, we're taking a lot of uh, additional actions to make the experience far better. I would say the other thing that we are doing and have done this past season is be far more transparent around just the eligibility of free uh, based on your tax situation as you're picking the product, letting you know if it's, if it's something you have to pay for uh, and or if it's free, but also beyond that, 
helping you understand the benefits that we can provide you beyond taxes with Credit Karma. So we have absolutely taking additional actions to be, I would say, far more on the side of building trust and and building reputation. And Sasan, I want to finish on Credit Karma. Uh, Revenue was up 48% to $468 million in Q3. Now, it also looks like consumer credit was growing a lot in this economy with all of these cost pressures. There's some concerns out there that, that consumers are putting a lot, maybe more than they should, on credit cards. So how should we think about the growth of that business, health of that business, perhaps as you know, uh, consumers start to hit a ceiling in the amount of credit that they're using and, and perhaps need other and different services and help? Sure. Well, first of all, I'll start with where you did. We're really proud of the performance of that business. In fact, you know, this year, all in all, it's going to uh, end up growing nearly, you know, 60%. And our long-term expectations for that segment is, is 20 to 25% growth. So we feel very good about the long-term expectations that we've set. You know, in in sort of the times that we are in, and even if you look ahead and you just assume that we're going to get into a recession or even close to a recession, there are two things that hold true. One is demand, customer demand actually goes up uh, in uh, tougher times. So there's going to be higher demand than there is even now. Uh, On the other side, our partners, the financial institutions, the insurance companies that are on the the platform, there's actually a flight uh, to quality. And that's really where the power of our Credit Karma platform comes into play, because it's really a data platform uh, that uses AI uh, to deliver personalized matches and experiences. So our partners put their credit models on our proprietary platform because it gives them the ability to manage the quality of customers and offers they want to provide. And so there's a flight to quality by our partners. There's actually higher demand. And uh, we're actually excited about what we can do even in these tough, unique times that we are in. All right. Uh, a beat and a strong guy from Intuit has those shares up about 7.5%. Sasan Ghadarzi, the CEO joined us here on Tech Check First. Thank you, Sasan. Thanks for having me. It is time for a news update. Let's get to Contessa Brewer. Hey, Contessa. Hi there, Carl. Nice to see you. Advocates for more restrictions on gun purchases are calling for action today after 19 children and two teachers were murdered in a Texas school. According to state senators briefed by police, the shooter legally purchased two AR-style rifles soon after he turned 18 years old. In a pregame news conference last night, the coach of the NBA's Golden State Warriors condemned U.S. Senate Republicans for blocking a background check bill. When are we going to do something? I'm tired. I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to, to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence. The reaction has been swift and widespread, of course. This morning, Pfizer says it will sell 23 of its patent-protected drugs and vaccines to the world's poorest countries at cost. CEO Albert Borla tells CNBC 45 countries with 1.2 billion people will be included in this program. Shares of Kohl's are up more than 15% after Reuters reports that bidders are still competing to buy the retailer despite its recent disappointing earnings report. Everybody loves Kohl's. Carl. Contessa, thanks. Are slumping crypto prices a big risk for NVIDIA? We're going to discuss that after the break as they report after the bell. Dow's lost some gains off the session high, up 55. Stay with us. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. 
It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Crypto prices may be slumping, but VC investment sure isn't. Andreessen Horowitz plowing billions of dollars more into cryptocurrency startups with a new fund. Kate Rooney joins us now with that story. Kate, we do hear often the best companies are built during these times of turmoil, but Andreessen's been in the space for a while, too. So Yeah, they have their first fund actually came in, in in another bear market or crypto winter. But this one's breaking some records. This is the biggest fund yet. Andreessen Horowitz raising $4.5 billion to spend on crypto and blockchain startups and invest through this current downturn, it's the firm's fourth fund in total. They've now raised about $7.6 billion so far to invest in the space. Andreessen's buying both the cryptocurrencies or the tokens associated with companies and then traditional equity as well. And it comes as a lot of those crypto prices are taking a significant haircut along with broader tech. Bitcoin is really the bellwether for this space. It's down more than 50 percent right now from the high. I talked to partner Ariana Simpson about the timing with this. She says Bear markets are often the best opportunities, and when the best opportunities come about, she says people are actually able to focus on building technology rather than prices in the short term. Simpson and another partner at the firm, Chris Dixon, talk about the long-term opportunity here as, quote, the next major computing cycle. They point to PCs in the 80s and the Internet and mobile computing today. They would call any of these apps built on blockchain technology, Web3, although there are plenty of skeptics around that term, including Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk. The big thing to watch, guys, what effect this flood of VC money is going to have on private valuations as investors all chase the same deals. Those I talked to say for now, crypto valuations are holding up, but they argue NFTs, gaming companies, some of these other crypto names don't really have a good public comparison. Coinbase, a crypto exchange, really is the only publicly traded crypto name out there. Yeah, and look at that, nearly 75% down year to date. We're going to stay with that company, dig in a little more. Moffat Nathanson slicing their expectations for the company, reiterating a buy, but lowering their price target from $600 to $200. Lisa Ellis, the analyst behind that call, joins us now. Lisa, that is quite the cut, $400. Um, I guess what took so long? I mean, sort of the signs have been there. Um, but you think we're maybe at the end of this crypto cycle? What makes you believe that? And what took you so long to make this call? Yeah, so exactly. So what? now that we're through crypto cycle, um, the peak appeared to have been hit back in December. Uh, what we did was take the last crypto cycle and sort of incorporate it into what the outlook for Coinbase going forward, anticipating that no one really knows how this plays out. But historically, crypto has gone through these cycles. So trying to incorporate that into our outlook for Coinbase. The, probably the key kind of takeaways there is that 
Historically, these cycles, while the drop is quick and dramatic, as we've seen in the last few months, once it troughs, it does tend to stay that way for six, seven, eight quarters. Uh, last cycle, it took all of 2018 and 2019 before you started to see crypto really um, uh, start to recover. And so that's sort of the reality check, I guess, with Coinbase. We love the company over the long term, but the reality is that it's likely, you know, from a trading volume perspective to be pretty, you know, kind of move sideways for the next, uh, you know, 18 months. Lisa, what makes you think that Coinbase is going to be the winner in this space? I mean, you have others like FTX and Binance. You have Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of FTX, saying that their revenue has not declined. They're pushing into new areas. I know we haven't seen the financials, but it does feel like it's in a very different position than Coinbase, which is operating in the public and maybe having a tougher time doing so. Yeah, well, Coinbase, though, is sitting on a nice pile of cash. That's good. They've got over $6 billion in cash, so they can certainly outlast you know, the, the cycle and invest through it as they're doing. But a big distinction, one, Coinbase is very regulatory friendly. So if you believe that as crypto matures, reg, there will be more regulation around it, Coinbase is sort of positioning themselves for the long term to operate in that context in a more regulated environment. So they have participated less kind of on the fringes and derivatives and some of these altcoins, um, but they are very regulator friendly. That's one big reason. The other reason is because Coinbase is actively diversifying the business into other areas besides simply brokerage and trading. They've got the Coinbase Cloud, which is basically like a Microsoft Azure type of developer platform for crypto. They've got an NFT platform. They're operating functioning in DeFi and working with wallets. Like they've got all, about 12, 13% of revenue already, but scaling very rapidly. That is in other areas besides brokerage and trading, which we think is one of the most exciting aspects of Coinbase over the long term. Hey, Lisa, you know, it was uh, JP Morgan's Investor Day earlier in the week. And one of the things that sort of flew under the radar was their discussion of how they're going to fight against uh, fintech and get into things like buy now, pay later. How do you think about the risk of a legacy financial coming into this market and either taking share or, or making some kind of bolt on M&A bid? Yeah, in... Um, so absolutely think that we'll see in the crypto space that we'll start to see traditional banks and brokerages starting to offer crypto services um, to their customers the way we've seen like with Fidelity, for example, starting to offer uh, Bitcoin and other crypto through their 401ks. But, but we believe they will do that in partnership with the crypto players, not competitively, because the, the sophistication you need to run nodes on blockchains and create liquidity across in tokens across all these different blockchains, very specialized technical capability that we think that they'll leverage. So whenever we talk to players like Coinbase about it, they see banks, you know, inst increasingly institutional customers are in a bigger and bigger part of their business because they are partners, uh, not competitors. Lisa, it's always great to get your insights. Thank you. Lisa Ellis, Moffitt Nathanson. Meanwhile, Coinbase, not the only stock exposed to the meltdown in crypto. What about NVIDIA? Ahead of results tonight, Christina Partsinevelis joins us 
with potential impact. Christina? Thank you. Well, NVIDIA's stock has been the victim of the growth sell-off, losing about 40% since the start of the year. Actually, a bigger drop when you compare it to the S&P 500 and the drop in the SOX semi-ETF. NVIDIA is the white line on your screen, the lower of the two. And the boom and bust nature of crypto has further put pressure on NVIDIA. Why? NVIDIA is known for its gaming graphic processing units, GPUs, and that accounts for roughly 45% of its revenue. And prices, as you can see on the screen, are dropping. A large portion of these GPU units are sold to crypto miners who use it to perform complex calculations. So much so that the SEC recently charged NVIDIA $5.5 million for hiding how many GPUs were sold to crypto miners. But the mining process for Ethereum is changing and could render these computer parts virtually useless for those mining Ethereum. Consumer electronics company Asus recently pointed out, too, that the demand for graphics cards used by cryptocurrency miners has actually cooled. A high growth, high multiple consumer exponents name is certainly a tough sell in today's environment. But there are some bright spots for NVIDIA tonight. Strength in data center products and the rollout of new parts, CPU, GPUs, that could spark an increase in demand. John? Well, we will look for that for sure. Christina, thanks. Thanks. And yet another company joining the growth slowdown, Lyft, just like Meta, NVIDIA, and Uber, announcing in an internal memo that it plans to, yes, slow hiring, reduce budgets, and grant new stock options to make up for its eroding share price. Shares are down 61% on the year. Speaking of cost, we just heard from Salesforce's Mark Benioff on our air, asked whether he's pausing hiring or cutting costs right now. You have to look at everything. You're looking at a very unusual global situation where you have these rising interest rates here and then volatility in foreign exchange. And when you have those two things happening, you have to look at everything. That's the smart thing to do. Does that mean that you've, that you've slowed down hiring? Because you've, you've been hiring a lot over the last few years. We're certainly going to look at everything. You're not going to tell me? I'm not going to go through it with you. Well, you <laughs> I'm in a quiet period, or I would tell you. Quick check on what's dragging on tech. We talk about market leadership, and if you crunch some numbers, eight companies are responsible for nearly 60% of the NASDAQ 100's year-to-date losses. Those big names are all the biggest market caps. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Meta, NVIDIA, Tesla, Netflix, and Alphabet. Those stocks represent 2,600 points of the 4550 points lost year-to-date in the NDX, John, we talked for so long about uh, the remarkable weighting, uh, not just of the NDX, but the S&P. And in a, we knew that in a big drawdown, uh, that would create some dramatic numbers, and it has. Yeah, it's a complicated math problem, though, because Apple's down a lot less than the NASDAQ overall, though it's, it's partly responsible, Carl, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Snowflake has seen a massive run up and then a massive drop this year. Are expectations too low, too high? Well, that's next, don't go away. Snowflake's a growth stock bellwether, and it reports results after the bell. Shares down 61% since January. So what should investors focus on? Frank Holland has it. Frank. Well, hey there, John. You know, before we get to that growth story about Snowflake, we want to talk about one of the factors that's been really weighing on the stock and has it underperforming other cloud names, at least in recent weeks. That's filing showing that cloud giant Salesforce sold its remaining shares, the data warehousing and analytics company. You can see shares falling about 7% since then. Still, many analysts have high hopes for Snowflake. Uh, key metrics to watch are remaining performance obligations. That's work yet to be done, but Snowflake expects to get revenue from generally in the next 12 months or so. That doubled in Q4. And then also, um, you have net revenue retention. 
That is uh, either growth or decline in revenue from existing customers. It almost tripled last quarter, as you can see there. Now, you mentioned Snowflake seen as a bellwether. Rosenblatt, which upgraded Snowflake yesterday, but still down, uh, downgraded its price target, saying this in part, given the healthy IT spending environment and momentum and the shifting of workloads to the cloud, we expect Snowflake to update fiscal year 23 guidance of product revenue growth. Um, analysts also very uh, excited about possible customer ads there. Again, Snowflake reporting after the bell. Back over to you, John. All right, I'll take it, uh, Frank, thank you. Uh, speaking of Snowflake, don't miss our exclusive with uh, Frank Slootman, the CEO on Friday, where we will break down those numbers and a whole lot more on one of the important names in software. Dow's hanging on to some mild gains. We're back in a moment. Take a look at the NASDAQ up about three quarters of a percent, and that takes us flat on the week. Top gainers today, Intuit, DocuSign, and Palo Alto. We will be right back after this. One more thing before we go, and that would be Musk's Twitter bid. Here is Salesforce's Mark Benioff and billionaire investor Jim Breyer commenting on the price. Is it a good deal for Elon? Uh, or Twitter? Well, he's clearly bored. Doesn't have a lot to do. He's got, you know, he's got Tesla, you know, very boring company, I guess. He's got the boring company, which must also be very boring. <laughs> SpaceX, well, who, you know, not interesting, shooting these rockets up and running the global satellite system. And then, you know, he's got Neuralink, where he's not only trying to bore a hole in the ground, he's trying to bore a hole in your head and suck your consciousness out. So he's clearly <laughs> not busy enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's one of the most incredible, exceptional entrepreneurs of all time, maybe the most exceptional entrepreneur of all time. And uh, it's fascinating to see that he's so interested in this uh, asset. Is it a good asset? Well, I've always liked the asset and my uh, investors asked me not to buy it, so we didn't. But uh, I've always been an admirer of the brand, the asset, the technology. I think it's a great company. Elon is a genius, as Mark Benioff said, one of the best entrepreneurs of all time. He's paying too much for Twitter. I think the fair market value of Twitter, in my humble opinion, is 25 to 30 dollars. That's a long way out from 5420. Yes, it is. Uh, maybe one reason that Webb Bush said earlier in the week that 5420 is out the window. We're going to watch that, guys. We're going to watch Fed Minutes in a couple of hours. Of course, NVIDIA and Snowflake as uh, we get a mixed market has been lasting all morning long. Let's sit to the half. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.